I don't wanna be the boy that runs in the back I don't wanna be the kid that falls in the dark All I really want to be is the guy that gets that girl Welcome to the AJ Steele Show We discuss politics, sex, money, and everything in between And now, here's your host, an immigrant a self-made millionaire, an American, A.J. Steele. Welcome to our show. Today's program is personal and extremely special to me. It features an eye-opening interview I did with a California TV reporter named Erica Sandberg, went undercover as a homeless drug addicted woman and decided to investigate what it's like to be living on the streets of San Francisco. But before we get to our story, and it's a real good one, I wanted to tell you why I decided to do a show about drug addiction and about the very little real life help drug addicts get once they're hooked. Last weekend, I attended a funeral. It wasn't for an old man or an old lady who has lived a full life. It wasn't for a middle-aged adult who lived a good life. It was a funeral for a 20-year-old boy. A beautiful 20-year-old boy with blonde hair and blue eyes and freckles. A kid with a beautiful soul with a heart of gold who practically grew up with my children. A beautiful child who came to my home for many years for Thanksgivings and birthday parties and barbecues. He was a wonderful kid with an ever-ready smile. He came from a good, God-fearing family, and yet for some sad reason, he ended up losing his way, just like so many other young adults in America who start doing drugs for fun and end up destroying their lives. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the AJ Steele Show. I wasn't sure if I wanted to do this show because it hits so close to home and my family, and I didn't want to commercialize someone else's pain and sorrow, and I would never want to hurt anyone. But I was thinking to myself, if I don't speak up for this young man, whom I remember as a young boy, who can't speak for himself anymore, then who will? Young America is dying. Our future generations are being killed one by one by drugs, and nobody seems to care. The media doesn't report about these deaths because they're not newsworthy for them. They're just someone else's kid. There's nothing cute about junkies living on the streets, getting high on meth and fentanyl, and that's why nobody wants to talk about them. And even the parents of these poor kids, they feel destroyed by this constant sorrow of dealing with the constant ups and downs in their lives, not to mention that they are ashamed and they feel stigmatized to the point that they, they just want to forget about this whole thing. Families who live with junkies live in perpetual grief. They feel like they're grieving, even whilst their children are still alive. Nobody gives a damn about drug deaths in America until someone that you know and love dies. And then all of a sudden, the statistic becomes a human being with parents and siblings and cousins and friends. Out of respect for his parents, I'm not going to dwell too much on the private aspects of this beautiful 20-year-old young man's life who died on a gorgeous summer day, a few days short of his 21st birthday. But even the grief 
is complicated in the shadow of his drug addiction because there's a horrible duality in drug addicts' lives. Do we grieve for the wonderful boy who came to my home all the time, whom my kids loved and adored, and who suddenly just stopped coming to our family functions at the age of 14? Or do we grieve for the sad, tortured soul who lived out on the streets of San Francisco, struggling from one rehab to another, a human being we barely even knew anymore? I don't have any answers, but I do know one thing. The pain and the sorrow are not just about the death. It's also a heartbreaking lament about what could have been and about what was. As my family and I went to the funeral, we all listened very closely to what the Catholic priest who knew this boy all his life had to say. He spoke very passionately about how this child of God gave up his life the minute he took his first drug in his early teens. And he was right. He also said that he blames the drug dealers for causing this tragedy. And even though he is a man of God, he said that he understands why they deserve our hatred. I agree with the priest. But I wanted to shout out, there's so many more people that are responsible for this child's death. Look, we all have the ultimate responsibility to where we end up in life. And this kid did too. But there are so many demons out there who helped him along the way. And many of them weren't just drug dealers who sold him his death. So after the service, I thought to myself, what if I was a prosecutor? Not a politically influenced one like the ones running the DOJ, but a real prosecutor who holds no punches and tells it like it is. Who would I put on trial? Who would I accuse as responsible for the death of this child? I would start with accusing our selfish society, which overlooks the use of drugs and calls it harmless experimentation. A society which works day and night to legalize them for the sake of pure, unadulterated greed. A society which marginalized and mocked good parents and good men and women who preached total abstinence from drugs. I would accuse selfish adults who smoke marijuana and drink alcohol with children and never teach them right from wrong. Believe me, I know many of those parents right here in California, right here in my neighborhood. I would accuse teachers and mentors and a school system which has given up on teaching our kids about morality and about the value of life and self-restraint. I would accuse the media which pushed and normalized the use of drugs in movies, songs, and TV shows for over 50 years. I would accuse our medical profession, which has prostituted itself to big pharma and the low-life drug dealers, doctors who swore an oath to protect lives and save them and now do nothing but write endless prescriptions for marijuana for their own pure profit. These doctors and psychologists and so-called social workers are no better than drug dealers. In some ways, they're much worse because people look at them with undue respect. People look at them for answers. But don't fool yourselves. They're not advocates for life or for health. They're not advocates for the homeless or the drug addicted. Many of these so-called professionals, and believe me, I know a lot of them, are nothing but advocates for themselves. 
I would accuse progressive governments at all levels, from federal, state, and city, who spend our hard-earned tax money on slush funds for their buddies, and for wars, and for fake epidemics, and for illegal aliens, instead of honestly addressing our nation's addiction problem, and instead of stopping the flow of illegal drugs across our borders. Not to mention, I would accuse the DAs and the prosecutors, many of whom are supported by the devil George Soros, who refuse to prosecute all these lowlives that bring drugs into our nation and refuse to prosecute those subhuman drug dealers who sell that garbage to our kids. But most of all, I accuse America's parents who want to be their children's best friends instead of being parents. Cowardly, selfish, weak, pathetic parents who spend their lives worrying about their own personal affairs instead of keeping an eye on their kids and making sure that they don't get caught up in a world of drugs. Yes, ultimate responsibility starts at home. Look, sometimes in life things happen to the best of families and to the best of parents. But there's nothing in this world that happens in a vacuum. In some ways, all of us need to stand accused. Because all of us, in essence, either on purpose or by dereliction of our duties, help pave the road on which our children must travel. My dear friends, just remember one simple logical thing. If you or your kids don't take drugs in the first place, then you will never get addicted. What I said is so simple and so logical, and it should be the one topic that we all agree on. And yet we don't. The last thing I wanted to share with you guys about this young man who died so needlessly is something that his grieving mom told my wife and I just a few days ago. After her son died, she started looking through old photos and cards and she found a letter that he had written to her about two years ago. It read, Dear Mom and Dad, I'm so sorry about all the pain and anguish I put you through. I never meant to hurt you. And now that I'm entering rehab, I hope I can make everything better for all of us. Love, your son. All I can say is, may this boy's memory be a blessing forever. And may God comfort his family and all the families that lost their children to drugs. I want to take a short break now, and when we get back, we have a fascinating interview with Erica Sandberg, who is an independent TV news reporter, and she appeared on many network programs, and she's an author, and she also happens to be a guest columnist who has written for many local and national newspapers. Erica went undercover as a junkie, and she walked the drug-infested streets of San Francisco, and she learned some very sad things. This is AJ Steele, and this is the AJ Steele Show. The AJ Steele Show. Think of your loudmouth best friend, hated by all the wives, because he tells it just like it is. Erica, welcome to the AJ Steele Show. Thank you for having me. 
Well, it's great to have you with us. And I've been following your TV work in San Francisco Bay Area for many years now. And the other day I saw a tweet of yours, which went viral all over America. You played a little dress up and you went undercover as a homeless drug addict in San Francisco and tried to get some help. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you did and how you did it and what you found out? Sure. Um, yeah, that was, it was two years ago, almost to the day uh, now. And the reason I did it, the reason I went undercover and I just wanted to see what was going on was because all around me here in San Francisco, my city, my home, where I raised my family, been here 34 years, um, devastation. I mean, really, it's, it's horrendous to see what I see every day. Um, people on the streets in the worst conditions you can possibly imagine dying. We have, we have 2,000 people who died uh, since 2019 of drug overdoses. So for me, my curiosity just got the better of me. And I thought, well, what's going on? I need to know what's happening. And I could believe all the media too. You know, I'm a reporter. I do respect journalism. But there's nothing like being there. There's nothing like seeing it with your own eyes, your own ears, uh, and so that's what I did. And I just I decided to go out and check out what was happening and what people were receiving in terms of care. And what did you find out? It was horrible. So I knew, of course, going into it, that harm reduction methodologies were in place, which is you just give out needles. You give out, you give out drug use paraphernalia. That's what happens. I think maybe a little part of me was hoping, hoping that there would be some guidance toward recovery, right? That there would be somebody there who would say, hey, it looks like you're in bad shape. If you want, here's where you can receive medical care. Here's where you can receive uh, assistance for your uh, drug use. Nothing, absolutely nothing. The first place I went, I went to three different places. The, the bag was just enormous of goods. She was very sweet. The woman in the kiosk, she said, um, what size needles do you want? And I have to admit that stumped me because I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so I was, yeah, I was dressed up like, I'm going to say a junkie because a lot of people do call themselves junkie. I don't, I don't like fake words. I don't like, you know, let's just call one thing something when it's not. Let's just say what it is. Drug user, that's fine. Mm -hmm. um, I was in rags. I had a mask on because it was, it was smack in the middle of COVID. Um, big hat. I look like you, actually. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you are much prettier than I am. <laughs> but I was a mess because I was shaking. I, my legs were shaking. My arms were shaking. I was nervous. You know, it was not something I typically do. To me, I certainly looked like somebody who needed help, right? So mm -hmm. I, I anticipated that there would be some sort of help. But the woman was very sweet. Instead, she just said, how many needles do I want and what kind do I want? And I shrugged. I just kind of lifted up my shoulders. And she said, you know what, honey? I'll just guess for you. And I said, okay. I, and I nodded. I don't even think I said a word at that moment. Mm -hmm. And she takes a bag and she piles in the needles, just piles in the needles. Unbelievable. Listen, I want you to expand on what you're telling me because as a San Franciscan myself, I'm all too familiar with our horrible system, which not only refuses to address the problem of drug addictions and homelessness, but actually encourages it, in my opinion. But before yeah. we get too deep into it, I wanted to know more about your viral tweet. So. Mm -hmm. 
hundreds of thousands of people saw it. Many of them liked it and retweeted it. But you also got a lot of angry, nasty responses from the usual suspects. These folks or mostly are white virtual signalers from the wealthier areas of California. And some of them were medical people, including doctors, who basically make their living from the industry of drug addiction and homelessness. Believe it or not, even after I announced that I was going to interview you, I got lots of hate mail myself from so-called <laughs> doctors and rehab PhDs who openly advocate for drug use, okay? Now, who needs drug dealers when you have these folks in the medical field pushing our youth to get high? Could you expand a little bit on these nasty comments and all the unhinged hate that you were getting online for just doing your job and exposing the truth? Absolutely, yeah. I would say a good 95% of the response, and yes, it was huge response, way more than I expected. Um, I, I would say 95% of the response was overwhelmingly positive. People were excited, they were angry, but angry in the right direction. Like, what are we doing here, folks? We have people suffering and dying. What are we doing? So that was really encouraging. You know, like, wow, this was amazing to me that people were hungry for truth, hungry for exposure, hungry for validation, right? Like, wow, yeah, I thought I thought this was going on. Now I know, right? But that 5%, it was insane. I mean, basically, I was told to kill myself. I was told... Um, some things I can't repeat, violent sexual stuff, which was really weird to me, misogynistic comments, you know, calling me what they were, you know, about being a woman and um, I'll, I'll just, it was ugly. It got very, very ugly. In fact, I was trying to delete them because I kind of, you know, I'd rather just block it. I don't want that. But just blocking it was sort of getting me after a while. I was like, God, you know, I, you know, how many times am I going to be told that you know, I'm going to be raped with some foreign object wow. until I, you know, <laughs> I can't think I've had enough of this for right now. So I just, I'm just going to let it ride. What am I going to do? It's just Twitter. It's just Twitter. Twitter's weird. You know, it's not real life. Real life is what's happening on our streets. That's real life. Real life is seeing all these people dying on our streets. Real life. So I'm, I'm, more, I'm more fixated on that than anything else. Well, good for you. And I'm sorry that you had to deal with all that crap. And <laughs> there's a lot of real nasty people out there. These are the same people who, by the way, scream about feminism and women's rights and this and that. Oh, totally. Where's my women? <laughs> no, and they're there. They're of there. Course. Really interesting, too, is that a lot of the people who reached out to me saying, thank you. This is great. I agree. People of color. I, I just got off the, the phone with um, somebody from Boston who's like, they want to keep us down. Yeah, they do. They do. Why? I don't know. But I got to tell you. This is it's off the hook right now about people saying our communities are the ones that are being most mostly impacted. It's not Pacific Heights or, mm. you know, you know, expensive area. It's it's areas that are that are already poor. You know, we just did an interview with Susan Dyer Reynolds of the uh, Marina Times, and she was telling me the exact same thing, that it's the rich white virtue signalers live up in the hills in Marin and Pacific Heights and Oakland Hills. They're the problem now. I want to switch the topic, not switch the topic, but go to something else. So when I first came to America, I'm an immigrant myself, President Reagan was in the White House. And I still remember the media and everyone everywhere just mocking Nancy Reagan for her campaign to just say no to drugs. They mocked her. They laughed at her. They called her out of touch. But you know what? She was right. If you say no to pot, you won't get addicted to it. If yeah. you don't start doing street drugs, 
or as a sugar-coated experiment with drugs in the first place, you won't become a junkie. Why has our society become so averse to these simple, logical truths? That's a great question. Um, I mean, the whole just say no, I, I, I adopt it because my dad was an alcoholic. So I saw the devastation. I didn't have a drink, didn't have a sip of alcohol until I was 20, maybe about 20 years old. So I was a little bit late. And even then, like it just, you, when you see it, when you feel the effect of addiction from somebody else who you care about, I think you either go in one of two directions. You either not want to go down that road and you make steps so that you are not going to do that. Or unfortunately you go, you go forward onto that road. So to me, yes, don't just don't, you know, just don't do it. And I have to tell you, experimentation is normal. Curiosity is normal. I'm a curious person. I am. I love, I love diving into something that I don't know about. So I get that. I get that sort of, Hmm, what's this going to be like? (laughs) Um, But as I told my 19-year-old daughter, try to avoid doing something that you're going to like so much that you won't be able to stop doing it. Just think about it that way. Like, really, what's it going to do for you? So, you know, we do a lot of this kind of hoping, hoping and praying that our loved ones aren't going to suffer because you end up suffering. You know, it's, can I swear on your podcast? Absolutely. Don't bullshit me then with this whole like it's 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 benign that it's not a problem that that um, addiction is not an issue. In fact, it's not even called addiction; it's substance use and this type of thing. And, and everyone has a right to do drugs and this type of thing. Yeah, you have a right to kill yourself. I guess that's that's what it is. My dear, I one of my most dear 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 relatives right now is in rehab. What it took to get him there is beyond. It's almost like superhuman. It shouldn't be this hard. And he shouldn't have gone down in that direction in the first place. So, but the point is, is that we don't value recovery. Life is big and beautiful. You don't need all of this crap. I absolutely agree. I'm a big proponent of uh, responsibility, but I also believe that sometimes people make mistakes and uh, the system should be out there to help them, not to help them get high, but help them get better. You're listening to the AJ Steele Show, where no topic is off limits. No discussion too harsh. No truth more true. The AJ Steele Show. We tell it like it is. All I really want to be is a guy that gets the girl. All I really want to be. So let's get down to the meat and potatoes of the problem. Major cities and even smaller suburbs here in California and many other left-leaning states, they're, they're choke full of unrepentant, unashamed junkies living on the streets. They're urinating, defecating, shoplifting, and they're violently attacking normal people. What led to this problem in the first place? And why is it so much worse in progressive cities? Ah, um, because we have a, prog- we, here in San Francisco, there was a progressive attitude, which kind of in a way, it's sort of a bastardization of a libertarian attitude. All is okay. You know, we're just going to be okay with everything. We're going to let it all go. Um, it, it's interesting. Uh, I don't even consider myself a political person. To me, this is a human issue. So why, why do, why do the progressives give the nod? to self-destruction. 
I, that I don't understand. Do you not care? Do you not care about your fellow human being? Because that's what it's about. There's the suffering. You've seen it. We've all seen it. It, nobody can now shove this under the rug. Everybody has seen it. The suffering is intense. Why? You ask a great question, but I don't have a good answer for you. Why do progressives think that that is just a lifestyle choice or something that's positive? It, it boggles my mind. I, I, I couldn't tell you. I, I almost run out of words and I, I have a lot of words in me. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how they can look at that and say, this is okay, but but I do want to challenge them, which is, is this going to be okay for your child? Do you want your 14-year-old to end up on the streets of the Tenderloin? And if you say yes, that's great. You walk the talk then. That's awesome. You're not a hypocrite. But if you don't want them there, right, then, then why is it okay for them and not for your child or not for you, not for your brother, your mother, your sister? You know, you're right. And I'm going to answer my own question, if you don't mind. I think there's two reasons. Um, Half of these progressives are drug users themselves. And the real answer to it all is, I always say this, it's follow the money. There's a lot of money to be made from all of these industries. And we'll touch on that in a few minutes. But I wanted to ask you about something you brought up earlier. I keep hearing the words harm reduction. And they're being thrown around by all these morons and crooks who run these nonprofit, highly profitable scams. To me, harm reduction translates to let's give the addicts needles and drug supplies so they can keep shooting up. And instead of just dying on the streets where everyone can see them, they can die in a hospital or at some cheap motel somewhere. It's like giving them a gun and telling them to use the bullets safely. I know I'm sounding a little cynical, and I'm a cynical guy, but I've lived long enough to understand. Do you think that I'm wrong? No, I don't think that you're wrong. I think there is a devaluation of life. Um, I. I do love analogies. So I think what you bring to mind, the harm reduction methodology as it's used today, I do believe in keeping people alive. Let's keep them alive, but let's also help them live a better life. Mm -hmm. And yes, that's a judgment call. I think a better life is healthy and, and, and um, productive and you're doing fulfilling work and all the, you know, this, these type of things, that's my judgment. Sure. Um, but the harm reduction only goes so far here in San Francisco and other places as well. And I like to imagine it like this. Imagine it's a frozen lake and there's a hole in it. And somebody just keeps walking, or excuse me, keeps falling into the hole, into the frozen water. A harm reductionist, the way it's done today, is pulling them out of the frozen lake and then walk, turning the back on them and the person falls in again. And you do it over and over and over again because that person who's helping them just turns their back on on their next step. They don't drag them off the frozen ice and put them into a warm space and get them, you know, get them in a better physical and mental uh, condition. They just leave them there at the hole. That's how I see it. Why? Yes, I think that there is money to be made in the harm reduction industry. I think it's corrupt corrupt as hell. I think it's disgusting because if you're not taking that next step to helping people get really better, you're complicit. You're complicit in their death because ultimately they're going to die. And I was talking to my daughter about our loved one who I don't like to out because I think that's his business, um, who's in recovery now. And I said, I hate to say it, but his odds are low at survival. You know, if, if he doesn't make it, I'm not going to be surprised. I will be devastated, but I won't be surprised. 
I hear the cable car out there. That's, <laughs> that's very San Francisco and that's very cool. You know, uh, I'm doing this show because we lost a loved one or somebody that grew up with our kids, a 20 year old kid. And I'm going to talk about him a bit more later, perhaps. But um, this is a problem I see all over the place. And I live in an affluent area. I live in a place that is racially not very diverse, but very wealthy, intelligent people live here. And there's so many drugs. And uh, I have four kids. I have a 20-year-old daughter, so close to yours in age. Uh, and I teach them right from wrong, but I'm scared. I'm worried, and I just keep an eye on them the best that I can. But getting back to all this harm reduction, we all know that there's lots of illegal drug dealers all over the place, and but there's also legal ones known as the pharmaceutical companies who make trillions of dollars from the sale and distribution of drugs. It's a trillion-dollar industry both ways, but they're not the only ones. There's politicians and doctors and social workers. There's a whole infrastructure of nonprofit organizations dedicated to helping the addicted and the homeless. And these folks have a huge stake in keeping this madness going. I yes. know that you've done a lot of work exposing them. What can you tell me about their intentions? Are they actually helping anyone out there? I guess it's how you define help. Are they helping them exist? Sometimes, I suppose you can call that help. The Linkage Center, which is down in the Tenderloin, which I've exposed, mm -hmm. um, is, I suppose, helping people get their next meal, maybe sitting down. I, I mean, it's, it's so basic and it's so low that I suppose if you want to call that help, you can. To me, that's not help. I, would not, I wouldn't wish that kind of help on my child. Yeah. I wouldn't wish that kind of help on my love, my husband, my wife. No, sorry, no. And what's driving it? Ideology is driving it. The so-called experts. That makes me sick. I'm so tired of the experts. I'm sorry, but if you're an expert, you would know that this is wrong. So therefore, your expertise is nothing to me. But I want to say, if you want to make money, there's money to be made in a really positive way. We could open up rehab centers here in San Francisco. Ooh, we've got the resources. We've got a $14 billion budget. Wow. Hello? That money can be spent. We could be on the forefront of recovery. We can do it. So I'm going to offer that as a challenge to our politicians and to our Department of Public Health. Like, do it. Turn it around. You can do it. You have the money. You've got the resources. You've got the passion. Do it. You get the votes. We, we would be considered on the forefront of exactly what we needed to be. People would flock to San Francisco to say, wow, what are they doing right? That's an interesting challenge, you know. Uh, it's a lot easier to make money by doing nothing, you know, administrators and this and that and tax deductions than actually doing the work. And there's also a huge scam as far as a lot of rehab facilities, as you know. Um, my opinion of, of drug users, and I'm a person who's dealt with healthcare all his life, uh, they need to want to stop. If they don't want to stop, they're not going to stop. I don't care what kind of rehab you take them to. I don't care where you put them. I don't care how much you talk to them. I don't care how many needles you give them. They're not going to stop. But it's become a big problem because they're out there on the street and they're harassing normal tax-paying people. I suggest that they should be locked up and forced to go on rehab or just removed from society. Society is not responsible for them, or at least shouldn't suffer the burden of their choices. Yeah. So I believe in compassion. 
I believe in helping them, but I don't believe in carte blanche. You can do drugs wherever you want and just piss on all of us. That's my <laughs> opinion. Well, I think that's a really interesting opinion. And I, I've heard it and I believe in it to a certain extent. I have to say, it's almost like, it's almost like you're claiming your home and you're saying, yeah, sorry, teenage son and daughter. I'm not going to allow you to have sex in the living room while I'm watching TV. That's yeah. only for mom and dad. Okay. Right. Right. Exactly. That's what I'm saying is that you put your limits as a parent, you put your limits. You're like, look, I can't stop you from doing lots of things, but I can say while you're here, you can't do it. And we can apply that principle to a whole city. Like mm. I look, I can't stop what, what you do in your home with your own dollars. But I can tell you I'm not paying for it. I can tell you I'm not going to allow it in my home. And you could say, yes, that's a, your home, your apartment, your house, but also your city. Yeah, I'm not going to tolerate it here. I'm not going to tolerate it here. And you're allowed to do that. There's nothing wrong with that. And this is where like you, a lot of permissive parents are like, oh, gosh, I don't want to put those restrictions. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Because if you don't, you're going to get worse problems. So for sure, I, I think that it, what you just said and how you said it, it's like, it's like a parental frustration. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, it, it's a form of tough love, I guess. And I think a lot of parents want to be friends with their children. I want my kids to like me. I want them to love me. But I've, as a father and with my wife, we always made the decisions that make sense, logical sense. We don't parent our kids uh, so they'll like us. We parent our kids so they'll be ready to face the world. But going back to what you were saying, there's a lot of money to be made by keeping these people on the streets. There's a lot of organizations that make mega millions of dollars from federal funds, from state funds, from city funds who do nothing. And to me, that's the people who are attacking you and myself. That's the people that want these people out there in perpetuity on the yep. street. You got it. That's exactly what it is. And worse is yet to come unless we stop it. And that worse, I'm writing about it right now, but the concept of safer supply. This is the wonderful concept of, oh, you know what's really killing people is tainted drugs. You know, it's, it's, it's that the fentanyl is too strong or that it has strychnine in it or, you know, that they think that they're doing meth, but they're getting fentanyl. What we're going to do instead so that we're going to solve this problem is that we're going to decriminalize the drugs. And there's some, there's some, you know, I understand there's some philosophical, uh, I, I guess I understand that to a certain extent. I don't believe it personally, but whatever. The point is, safer supply is that the government becomes the dealer. Now, they're going to be the ones who gives the addict fentanyl, methamphetamine, heroin, and a variety of other illicit drugs. So this isn't methadone, this isn't Suboxone. These are illegal drugs that they supply to people with addiction problems. The government then becomes the dealer. Who's profiting? Who's profiting? Mm -hmm. if, if our intention, and it should be, and I believe this is very strongly, I love your flags in the background. If our intention is for people as adults to be independent, self-sufficient, healthy, productive citizens, then that means that they're not addicted to a substance, that they're working, they're taking care of themselves and their families, right? And they're, they're being productive. Erica, you brought up an interesting point about future government involvement in making money from the drug business. 
But in many ways, doesn't the fact that our government does not close the border and does not stop the flow of illegal drugs and does not prosecute drug dealers mean that it's already fully invested in the drug business? Now, we can talk all day and come up with conspiracy theories of why would the government want its citizens drugged up. But never forget that a stupid, mostly catatonic population is a lot easier to control than a smart, vibrant one. I'm going to have to take a short break now, and when we get back, we will have our last questions for Erica Sandberg. This is the AJ Steele Show. AJ Steele, not right, not left, just right. You know, Erica, I'm a lot harsher than you. I believe that drugs should be stopped. I don't think the government should give them. I don't think drug no. should give them. And I believe the whole thing could be stopped very easily if there was the will to do it. But there isn't because I would say half of the people here in California are, are users or drinkers. And the rest of the folks, they don't care about their kids. They're very hedonistic. They're very selfish. They're very self-centered. And their whole entire life is about me, me, me. Look, I know I'm sounding like an angry biblical prophet of doom, but I do realize that this world has some universal truths and that we as a society are choosing to not recognize them or willfully ignore them at our own peril. Look, our time is running short, and believe me, I love talking to you. I could ah. talk to you all day, and I know that my listeners appreciate your honesty and, and strength of mission. Would you please let them know where they can learn more about you and how to follow you and where they can buy your books. Oh, absolutely. So the easiest way to contact me is through Twitter because I happen to be pretty active on it. It's just <laughs> a forum. It was just an easy forum like to get information out and to share my stories. I contribute to City Journal. I love City Journal. It's an amazing magazine online and in print. So check me out there. Um, what else? Uh, you can even go to my website uh, and contact me and email me, ericasandberg.com. <laughs> Pretty simple. Yeah. I'm open to everyone. I I try not to hate. I love the city very much, and I would love to be a part of just helping her get back in shape. Which leads me to my final question. Is there hope for San Francisco? Do you feel that um, there's going to be some kind of a philosophical change in this nation are we just getting high and feeling no pain and we're circling the drain and killing our future generations right i think uh yes there's a lot of hope and in fact i am very hopeful about san francisco i think we've reached a pretty despicable point mm. and i think that a lot of, here's my here's my reasoning for this about why i'm hopeful during the pandemic a lot of people left right what we what we're then left with here in this city is people who couldn't leave because of economic reasons mm -hmm. and people who wanted to be here because they love the city. That's a, that is a very, very, very um, uh, frightening population to our current politicians. Good. I like to hear that. Like I said, I'm a little bit more cynical than you are, but you know, there's a pendulum and hopefully it will swing the other way. Do you have any final words for the audience of the AJ Steele show? I do. I do. You know, there are good people running for office. 
get involved, you know, be active. Don't just be, don't try, don't go the AJ way and, and, and say that there's no hope, <laughs> right? No, there's a lot of hope, but you know, you do have to become active and we could actually use more people running for office. It doesn't take a, you don't, you don't need a degree. You don't need a background, get involved in politics. Um, that, that is one thing that you can do. And the other thing that you can do is be, be loud and proud about what you believe and don't be afraid don't be afraid to speak the truth. Please, please. We need, we need more truth speakers. Well, you're certainly not afraid, and I'm very happy that you did what you did, and I hope you keep doing what you do because um, you're a special lady. Erica Sandberg, thank you so much for coming on with us. I wish you all the best with your work and with all of your future endeavors. Thank you so much. I was so glad to be here, and I loved meeting you. And um to everybody else, yeah, let's let's just work hard for the future. All I really want to be is a guy that gets a girl. All I really want to be. All I really want to be is a guy that gets a The AJ Steele Show, copyrighted 2022.